0: Everybody. It's Todd Dills here, and we're back with another edition of the Overdrive Radio Podcast. This is one for January 7, 2021. This week, we're taking a run back through another episode of our Over the Road Podcast. Hopefully engrossing listening to take on a long run and perhaps offer a little diversion from the political rancor of our chaotic time. This is episode two in the Over the Road series, originally titled Why We Drive. Regular Overdrive radio listeners will know we produced Over the Road in collaboration with PRX's Radiotopia podcast network, and it was hosted by our own long-haul Paul Marhofer. Before we get into a couple updates from one of the drivers featured there when it originally ran back in early March of 2020, I did want to note a few changes upcoming for the podcast, for some of you, anyway. We've got a new redesigned website coming at overdriveonline.com. You listen to overdrive radio there nothing change nothing's changing at all however if you regularly listen via a podcasting app other than spotify stitcher soundcloud or apple or google Podcasts, take a look at the show notes for this episode we're transitioning uh, to a different principal rss feed for overdrive radio you can update your app with that feed address and be certain to get all the episodes going forward and we're trying to get uh read uh, appropriate redirect together as well okay over the road In episode two, Why We Drive, Paul Marhofer and producer Lacey Roberts spent time with two operators in Grand Island, Nebraska, owner-operator Jared Sidlow, as well as Kenyat Godhi Bell, based out of Florida. In April 2019, Kenyat was right at one year in trucking, pulling a reefer as a company driver with Grand Island Express. The visit with her to an owner-operator training course uh, that you'll hear uh, at Grand Island headquarters, it was no matter of chance, as it were. I uh, spoke with Kenyette this week, and she said something of a pivotal point. Less than two years later, she was just out of uh, out with her own authority in a 2017 Freightliner Cascadia, near identical to the company truck Marhofer describes in the episode, minus as yet the Lady K insignia on the door. She purchased this one from Grand Island Express itself. She said back in April of last year. Well, knowing the maintenance attention it got from that fleet, she said. She then leased with B.F. Trucking the small fleet of Wanda Billups out of Plainfield, Illinois, and cut her teeth in truck ownership throughout this past raucous, unpredictable year. Heck of a proving ground, I'd say. She's power only at the moment, with her authority active for just a couple of months. Part of the wave of new authorities since midsummer, I wrote about in a story a month or so ago, but you can find it at overdriveonline.com part of the No Turning Back series. That's overdriveonline.com slash tag slash no hyphen turning hyphen back. All the stories in that series are aimed at examining uh, myriad impacts COVID-19 has wrought on life on the road, on healthcare access, uh, freight, rates, and a lot more. As you listen to this over-the-road episode, keep Kenyet's present in mind as she speaks from the past. I feel like it's Wonderful, simply put, to see a plan come to fruition. You? Leave a message on our podcast line at any point via 530-408-6423. Love to hear from you. Before we hand it over to Long Paul, here's a message from Overdrive Radio's sponsor. If you're a leased owner operator, you need
1: quality insurance to keep you protected. Call First Guard for the commercial truck insurance you
2: need and the service you deserve. First Guard is the trucker's insurance company. We understand your needs and offer physical damage and non-trucking liability insurance for leased owner
1: operators. With First Guard, you always get fast and friendly service. Visit firstguard.com. That's the number one stguard.com. First Guard, we speak trucker.
3: Let's talk. When you picture a truck driver, what comes to mind? A booted bearded Bubba with one of those caps that says Peterbilt? Or my personal favorite, those pearl snap plaid shirted prodigies who were big riggin' before they could even shave?
2: been around
4: trucks my whole life third generation of truckers
3: well yes yeah, some people were pretty much born to truck
4: well, I was born into it third generation my grandfather father and my brother
2: brother-in-law everybody
3: but these days about as many types of folks drive trucks as drive cars You got your burnout retailers.
2: I
4: had one of those days everybody in retail has where you want to put somebody either through the glass countertop or through a plate glass window.
3: Your adventurers.
2: We just went on a vacation and said it would be nice if we could do this all the time.
3: (laughs) You got your cultural immigrants navigating their way to a new career after life-changing events.
1: Got diagnosed with colon cancer while I was in the hospital that I said let's go ahead and build a truck. that's where we went from there.
3: Then, of course, there are the actual immigrants, like my old friend, Debbie. And I said, look, I can't even drive on the correct side of the road, you know? But I'm not scared of trucks, right? <laughs> These days, truckers come from every corner of the world. I see job is going down, and then I always see big truck picture. From every faith and background.
2: I never thought I am going to be a, a truck driver, but I was, at the time, I was single. I don't have no kids. So I so said, you know,
3: why the heck, why not? I'm Long Haul Paul, and today on the show, Who Drives and Why? From PRX's Radiotopia and Overdrive Magazine, this is Over the Road. You know, there's nothing worse than somebody that walks up to you and tells you their whole life story five minutes after you meet them. But look, since you're here, I should probably tell you how I got into this business. When I was 14, I began begging my dad for a summer job. He was the CEO of a big meatpacking outfit, and they had a fleet of about 50 trucks. That summer, he finally gave in and put me on as a gas jockey. My job was to gas, wash, and park the company trucks. One day, I asked one of his drivers, I think he went by Red. What's it like to just drive down the road in one of them big old trucks? He goes, come on, I'll show you. So we exited the lot. Red waved to the guard shack and lit up a camel. That transmission he had in there was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Every shift was accompanied by a whoosh of air. The clicking of gears all finding their place. There was a sorcery to it all. Me and Old Red, riding high in that tobacco and sweat-cured cab. We must have been seven, eight, nine feet above the ground, awash in the rumble, the flutter, the roar. We got back, and I thanked Red. Don't worry about it, was all he said. But when I was 19, my dad and I had a falling out. The old meat plant had gone out of business, and almost overnight, our whole family was just kind of lost. My mom wound up in the psych ward in our local hospital for a while. Me, I wound up without a place to stay. My friend Hank's mom let me sleep on an air mattress on the floor of their house. Hank had four beautiful sisters, and I fell in love with the third, Denise. She was four years my senior, strikingly beautiful, and completely out of my league. But I had one thing going for me. It was 1979, and that girl was all about Jackson Brown. We would sit down at her turntable for hours and dissect every word of song after song. The road, under my wheel. But it was Jackson Brown's Running On Empty, recorded entirely on the road, in buses, motel rooms, and on stage, that completely owned me. There's a song on there called Shaky Town. I would sing it to Denise. That's a big 10-4 from, from your back door. Just put the hammer down. Put that
4: hammer down.
3: This young man feels I blame all this truck driving thing squarely on you, Jackson Brown. And Denise. We've been married 38 years now. Bless her heart. So my dad had been a CEO. I had one brother who was valedictorian of his law school. Another brother spoke 12 languages by the time he graduated college. Me? I dropped out of college and wound up in truck driving school. When I had completed the course, I called my dad. It was the first time we'd talked in a really long time. I told him I had graduated from such and such diesel academy. And there was this long pause. He said, Well, you can either make it a job or a profession. And it was good advice.
2: For the health and comfort of the traveling public, all terminals are smoke free. All that
3: was a long time ago. Now I'm heading back to the shadow of yet another meatpacking plant, as old Jackson Brown himself wrote going back to where my beginnings have gone. This time.
1: Did you just see me?
3: I'm not going alone.
1: I'm raising my hand. Look to your right.
3: In Omaha, Nebraska, I meet our producer, (laughs) Lacey Jane Roberts, in person for the first time.
1: I was at the other Omaha stakes. Oh,
3: right.
2: (laughs) Great
3: to meet you. Great
2: to meet you, too. It feels like we've already met each other. Yes,
3: it it does feel that way. (laughs) Did you see that? And we set out together across what truckers call the Meat Patch, (laughs) a patchwork of massive feedlots and packing houses which extends from Iowa to Colorado and from the Dakotas to Texas. We're hoping someone out here can help us understand the mysterious allure of driving a truck. Yeah, we can start there. It's appropriate that Lacey and I are taking this trip together. You see, Lacey's not only a producer, she's also the Montana-born daughter and granddaughter of cattle haulers. Anytime you want to gain credibility within the trucking subculture, I'm from Montana, my dad was a bull hauler.
2: My dad was a bull hauler. And then
3: then they will salute you.
1: (laughs) My dad and my grandpa were bull haulers.
3: Somehow, I don't think she realizes just how cool that is. It's, it's very funny. It's it's very because they're the badasses of trucking. Just stop and consider what you have to do to be a cattle hauler. You got to get in a pen with a, an animal that can weigh up to twenty-five hundred pounds. That has the power to trample you to death, and you've got to convince that animal to go up a chute and, and go in a trailer. Yeah. Anybody embodies the myth of what what a cowboy trucker is it's a bull hauler
4: it's I, still pretty weird to think of my dad as a badass really <laughs> yeah. it's like someone telling you that the man that you've known all your life is something different than you thought he was
3: and I have to say talking to Lacey you know reminds me a bit of my own daughter I, I bought a western star brand new July 4th 1997 and it had two beds it had, you know a double bunk sleeper it was a gorgeous truck. And I bought that truck for one reason. I, I, I wanted my kids to see what I did for a living. Because I knew the way I was running, the way I was coming home, and all they would really see were the scraps that were left. Uh-huh. And all of them... Do you which uh, Go left, I'm sorry. All of them reached the conclusion, yeah, I think I'm going to get a college degree and not, yeah. not do this. Yeah. Which is, I'm glad they reached that conclusion. I, I, I don't know. I would I'd have mixed feelings if one of them followed me into trucking. I, I really would. We're here to meet someone who is just getting into trucking and find out why. Just as soon as we can get some good old-fashioned Midwestern comfort food in our bellies.
4: Okay, so where do you want me
3: to park here? I loop around the back of the building. I want to come in from the truck side so they don't think we're a couple four-wheelers.
2: What's a four-wheeler?
3: <laughs> a four-wheeler... It's a reference to a car, but it becomes like a pejorative ah, (laughs) four-wheeler.
4: Well, we just happen to be four-wheelers today, but we got our trucker hats on. Yeah,
3: so the only way out of that is you just tell people, I'm in my personal vehicle. (laughs) We head in the trucker's entrance and find a booth, but somewhere in the middle of my chicken-fried steak...
4: We met a guy at the Shoemaker's truck stop in Lincoln and he recognized Paul from across the restaurant and he walked up and he said, are you Paul?
3: A man in his 30s walks up to our table, a cattle hauler named Jared Sidlow. He
4: goes, damn, you got some good tunes or something like that. This
3: has literally only happened to me like one other time since I started making these little folk albums five years ago.
4: And now he's going to be our friend, and we're going to interview him
3: tomorrow. Jared tells us to come by his shop the next day. It's one of these chance meetings that becomes its own story. But first, we have an appointment to make. Grand Island Express, Grand Island, Nebraska. Grand Island Express is a medium sized trucking company with a fleet of about 150 trucks and about twice that number of reefer trailers.
4: It looks like a
1: packing house, meat packing house across, right the, across street. the street Big from one.
3: a large meat packing concern. So, no surprise, they haul a lot of meat. We're here to talk to a newbie. Someone you just wouldn't expect in a tractor trailer out here in the middle of the meat patch. There's a is it?
2: probably? Hey, hey. hey how Kanye. are you? Good to Paul. meet you. Good nice to meet you. you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thank, Thank you. you. So
3: nice to meet you. Kenyette Bell is a true cultural immigrant. She's a former social worker and real estate agent. Just started driving last year. So
1: this is our landlord.
3: She's driving a brand spankin' new Freightliner in cobalt blue.
1: This is my new truck with Grand Island Express and I'm gonna put Lady K on the door. They've already stenciled it out for me.
3: It's sleek, aerodynamic, with all the bells and whistles.
1: So do you know how to get in? I do. Of course you do.
4: The time that I spent the most time in trucks was when I was like, before I was in school. So I have a lot of memories of being in trucks. In my head, it's a lot bigger. Yeah,
1: and I didn't grow up around trucks. I had an uncle, his name was Pete, and I remember he rode into Indianapolis in a Peterbilt, and I was like, how did you get a truck with your name on it? (laughs) And so, but I didn't grow up around trucks.
3: I know how I wound up out here, but what would make a decent, normal person like Ken ever want to do this? Well, she tells us her story.
1: Well, I wanted to be a cashier because I like buttons. <laughs> 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 I told my mom I to be a cashier. And she said, child, by the time you grow up, they won't need you. It'll be all computers. This is the 70s. So then I also wanted to be rich. And so I thought the way to do that was corporate America. So I went to business school. So truck driving was nowhere on the radar. Options are always important for me. And I grew up having options. My mother would say, Okay, so do you want to wash the dishes? Or do you want to clean the bathroom? Who does that? But she gave us options. So I'm sitting on these jobs and I'm sitting there thinking, There's got to be more to life than this.
3: Kenyatta took a class in graphic design, then one in computer networking. She got a master's in marriage and family therapy, and then a real estate license. Still, Trucking was the farthest thing from her mind.
1: And so I was at a family reunion in 2016, and my husband's cousin was, he was driving, and he was saying, you know what? There's a lot of ladies out here I'm seeing, and they're really getting it done. And so I was intrigued because it was a fleeting thought. At some point, you'd see it's like, that looks like something that I might be able to do. It's outside of the box, it's not following the crowd. But then it just seemed to be so much overwhelming without knowing anything about it. It's like, ah, oh, it's probably a man's world. And so I tabled that in the back of my mind. And then once I met a lady later that year, 2016, and we were talking about real estate, and then I asked her what she did, and she said, well, I, I, I'm a truck driver. What? Well, she looked like me. She was a black lady, she's about my age. And so she shows a picture of the truck and she's like, it's not the impossible dream. Yeah, you gotta learn how to back up and you gotta go to school, but she's like, the school's three weeks, they'll work with you, it's fine. So that stayed in my mind till about December, 2016. And I called her up and I said, no, now come again about this truck driving. Now, what did you say? Getting through school was the hardest part of this whole process. It wasn't being harassed by other truckers or you know, adjusting to the lifestyle. The hardest hurdle was getting out of school because I truly don't think that they thought that I would make it because I don't look like what you think a trucker would look like. I struggled with just the timing of the double clutching. I knew how to drive a stick shift. Most of my cars had been, but the double clutching is about timing and they don't let you float gears in school. You have to do it by the book. And so timing was off on certain gears and they thought, "Well, you're just you're just not you're just not up to par. You're not getting it." And I had to advocate and say, you don't know me. This is one chapter of my life that you're coming in on, but I've been with me my whole life and I know that this is not insurmountable. So if you give me a little more time, I'm going to get this. And so they end up giving me more time. And then I came in and I finished.
2: I am totally making it my mission to build the number of female drivers that are in the industry.
3: So... One of the other people we talk to at Grand Island is Kyle Weason.
2: I am the driver recruiter at Grand Island Express.
3: And when we meet in the lobby, Kyle is wearing this shirt that says, The future is female.
2: Hi. I am. I'm Kyle Kyle. Kyle great to meet you. I like your shirt. you. In
3: Grand meet Island, you. Nebraska. That's a statement.
2: I have to admit though, like I just moved to the area from Omaha, like, a couple of months ago, and I was like, you know what, there's no better time for me to really bust out to them, and uh, so many people are like, oh, my God, I love your shirt.
3: Now, when I started driving in the 70s, female truckers were a rare sight. That's changed somewhat
2: you know, this is still a very male dominated industry. Only 8% of drivers are women. And just from my background, I actually was a recruiter at an all women's college prior to this. So for me, you know, I said, well, this is a huge area that we're not really tapping into, or we could basically, you know, own this because as a company, we actually have 10% of our drivers that are female.
3: I should say, this push for female drivers is not just about a feel-good diversity thing. You may have noticed out on the road that a lot of trucks have we're hiring signs on them. That's because there's a lot of turnover in this industry, and trucking companies are always trying to find new people.
2: I mean, the studies are out there that women are coming into the workforce and they're looking for jobs that aren't traditional, and I don't think the women in the industry are going to bounce through jobs the same as as some of the men do. They want to find a place that they can come on and they can stay and they can actually, you know, call that their home.
1: So the fact that there's over 200,000 ladies out here and you see more and more is very encouraging.
3: Here's our friend Kenyette again.
1: Especially when you see someone... Let's say, like myself, who just looks like a regular person. And so I could still have, you know, my boots with little heels and, you know, these cute little jeans and have some earrings on and some jewelry. I could bring my identity to trucking and not let trucking shape my identity. And I think it's important to keep moving forward and not be afraid to dream big.
3: For Kenya. Part of that dream is ownership, owning her own truck and right. being so, her own well, boss.
2: And um, it
3: just happens that the day we visit, she's starting a class on how to become what we call an owner-operator.
4: Monty, okay. Yep. Eric. Eric? Can you he hear
3: you can make more money as an owner operator, but there's also more costs, more responsibility, and a lot more risk.
1: Now, does that dollar 6 fluctuate?
3: So in the class, they go over in detail what you expect to pay. You
1: mean just taking the the cost of tires and averaging it out monthly?
3: New tires for a tractor trailer alone can run up towards $7,000. Let's
4: say conservatively a couple hundred thousand. Then
3: there's fuel maintenance, repairs. health insurance, truck insurance, all of that adds up, of course. So the class turns to how much money they should set aside for every mile they drive.
1: I have, I've heard, you know, add a minimum of 10 cents a mile.
3: And for some reason, they turn to me for advice.
1: Yeah, what do you think, Paul?
3: You do not want to do that. Here. I, I am not an expert,
1: okay? have been driving since I was 1979, I was seven. Don't make mistake. Don't let
3: these gray hairs make you think I'm wise, okay? The class wraps up for lunch, and for Kenyette, the sky
1: is still the limit in trucking. I need to make a lot more money. And so it's not like, oh, I'm just going to drive. Oh my goodness. And by the way, you happen to pay me too for driving this truck? No. I'm 50. You got to make time, you know, work for me because, you know, it's later than it's ever been and the sun is going down. My former pastor said,
3: what makes others cave seems to only right. energize her.
1: So I realize in this industry, if you want to make uh, more money uh, and have some more freedom, then you need to have your own truck. And this is um, a wonderful timing for you because this is the actual anniversary of May 17, 2018, where I actually got in the truck to drive for the first time Today. ever. Yes. A year ago, this is the same date that I went out with my trainer. So one year later, I'm having this conversation about, how can I maybe get my own truck?
3: But with the freedom of ownership, often comes a price. After the break, we meet up with Jared, the bull hauler we met at the truck stop. Jared's path into trucking was completely different from Kenyette's. And now, eight years into his career as an owner-operator, he has a lot to say about
4: it. Sometimes, though, when that grass is green on the other side of the fence, it's a septic tank leaking.
3: <laughs> that night, we go to visit Jared Sidlow. You want beer?
4: I love a beer.
3: We meet in his shop where he parks and works on his truck. Jared is the polar opposite of Kenyette. For one thing, he was born into this.
4: As long as I can remember. You know, grandpa was home and I just wanted to go sit in his truck. Didn't have to be doing anything, just just wanted to be in a truck. Finally let me drive, you know, grandma'd get a bunch of milk cartons and When I could back through those, he'd let me learn the the forward gears. Yeah.
3: Jared was 13 the first time he drove his grandpa's rig. Taking a trailer out to Denver. His grandpa was napping in the back and told Jared to wake him up before
4: they got to the way station. I don't know, trying to wake him up before Fort Morgan and throwing shoes at him to try to wake him up. He wouldn't wake up and end up taking this truck across the scale at 13 years old.
1: So you, you had a thing for trucks?
4: Forever. Now Jared
3: wasn't always an owner-operator.
4: Before I worked for Conway Freight, and then I held fuel for Bosselman's. Oh, really? So, so yeah. you, you had all the benefits. You, you had a good salary, dependable well, work, 401k, all that jazz. And I was miserable. You know, just You're miserable. Yep.
3: He had a good 10 years of living the trucking straight life, working for a buy-the-book company, kind of like Grand Island Express. Back in those days, he even wore a uniform. One day though, he just had enough of being a working stiff. He cashed it all in, left the straight life, and bought his own truck. Check that out.
1: That is a good looking
2: truck. Thank you.
3: Today he hauls in this beautiful red Peterbilt with big white stripes across the cab a rock
4: fork put in it, and then the door jams are all polished out. Now, are you subject to e-logs? Not no more, no. Not, not pulling the livestock. I didn't think so.
3: Since he's hauling live cattle, Jared doesn't have to use an electronic logging device like the rest of us.
4: Well, you're babysitting 90 cattle, you know? I mean, you got to do what it takes to get them back and make sure they're alive when they get there in good shape.
3: For a guy like Jared, whose freight lives and breathes. The herd has to come first. It comes before his own family and comfort.
4: Oh, so you were hauling other stuff? Yeah, we used to do flatbedding. <laughs> oh. And then the e-logs came into effect and everybody's like, well, I don't wanna do this no more.
3: The bull haulers are like symbols of independence in the trucking world, especially now that most other truckers are required to run e-logs.
4: I guess if my name's on the truck, I, I'm not gonna run one. We've done some pretty pretty wild stuff hauling Holsteins out of Ohio to California. you ready to get out of the truck when you get there, guys.
3: <laughs> okay, I admit it. I kind of envy Jared, free of the E-Log ankle bracelet, high-stepping in a tricked-out Pete. But there's another side to this bull hauler's life. That beautiful red pewter doesn't just pay for itself.
4: Yep, it's tough. You know, my kids, they... Both play baseball and a little girl. But you gotta go, They gotta go. That's the hardest part. I miss my kids. You're out on the road, you're doing whatever you can to do the job. And then it's, you get home and you're just a waste of space almost. And then, yeah, and then everybody's pissed, I'm snoring. <laughs> you know, like, it's hard. I don't know. It's not all as cracked up to be. So why do you keep doing it? I don't know. It's the same reason people keep driving trucks. Gets in your blood, you hate it when you're doing it, you miss it when you don't. Who who really wants to work this hard? It's crazy.
3: Somehow, talking to Jared reminds me a bit of myself. Back when I bought that brand new Western star on July 4th, 1997. I told myself it was my own Independence Day. When it was all said and done though, I didn't drive that truck. That truck drove me, $1,741 a month. That was my truck payment, but boy could that canary yellow beauty run. Those were my hard trucking years, paying the cost of being the boss, doing whatever it took to support my family. I want you to picture a shiny new truck that cost me $87,000, and it's parked in front of an itty bitty rundown $33,000 farmhouse. But you had to look fast, because you only saw me there three or four days a month.
4: Are you ever gonna stop being a a, a trucker? Well, as of now, you no. Know, keep pounding down the road. How many miles have you done? Uh, around two mil. How old are you? Thirty-seven. That's a pretty good start. Scares the guy a little bit, honestly, though. It's not if it's when. When that big one's gonna come, and hope to God it doesn't come.
3: He's talking about getting in a wreck, the big one.
4: It's uh, I don't know. Every time you leave, you just hope, you know. Yeah. Hug your loved ones. It's a real deal. It's no joke. It's, I don't know. This job's a serious job, you know.
3: this ambivalence about their jobs. I mean, I would think that a guy like Jared wouldn't have all these mixed feelings about being a cattle hauler. He's got one of the coolest trucks on the road, and yet he feels maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something you can't stop doing, and you don't know why. Like I said at the top, truckers come from all kinds of backgrounds, and do this work for all kinds of reasons. For Jared, it meant meeting the expectations of a family tradition. For me, it was a disregard of all my family's expectations. For Kenyette, though, it was a carefully thought out career transition, a second act, if you will. I don't know what makes people want to drive trucks, and I've driven one now since 1979. But there is something here about freedom. And I can't quite explain. So in our next episode, we're going into the history of this idea. Why do some truckers drive for companies with 401ks while some are out on their own? Why has popular culture always seem to celebrate truckers as renegades and cowboys? We're talking with author Finn Murphy about how this notion of the outlaw trucker got started. He calls the myth of the last cowboy. I'm completely ambivalent about the myth. I mean I can excoriate it on the one hand, but then I'm also bound up with it. But before we go, Lacey and I have to see off a friend. Can I just tell me one more
1: time where you're going today? I am going to deliver a load of meat to North Baltimore, Ohio. It's about 850 miles. It, de- it technically delivers at 530 a.m. on Monday, but it's a drop and hook. So whenever I get there, any time before then, I can drop it off. Drive safe, I hope. Yes, I will. The angels are with me, and I, uh, I expect to get there safely. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, the final
2: goodbye.
1: I'm so glad we had this time together. <laughs> I'm so glad we had this friendly smile. <laughs> I've always got a song. or okay, I know this is redundant, movie. but I'm going to hug you a third absolutely. time. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Great to meet you. What a blessing to meet both of you. You're such inspiration, for these, believe it or not. Well, all right.
2: You save a light. Take
1: right. care now. Bye. See ya. Bye.
3: Thanks to everyone who entrusted us with their stories We'll catch you next time Over the Road Lucky strike change. strike chains the entering West Memphis held champagne was on 30-week coffee lucky strike chains she upgraded of the fat holes straight from the farm The cutters and the coal cows from a hundred seal bond, But when the feeders went west, around the time it turned foul, that's when the miles had got crazy, the money got tired. Our over-the-road pit crew includes the nice young man tasked with dragging me, screaming and kicking into excellence, producer and sound designer, Ian Koss, and contributing producer, Lacey Roberts at Transmitter Media. Our editor from Overdrive Magazine is Todd Dills. Our digital producer is Aaron Wade. Our project manager is Audrey Martovich. And our executive producer for Radiotopia is Julie Shapiro. I'm Long Haul Paul. All the music on the show is by Ian Coss and myself, featuring performances by Travis the Snake Man Womack, Terry Two Socks Richardson, the late, great Roger Clark, Jan Gullett, Jim Whitehead, and Mr. Andrew Marshall. Additional engineering by Donnie Gullett down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Special thanks this week to real women in trucking, specifically Desiree Wood, who introduced us to Kenyette? Thanks also to the drivers you heard at the top of the show, Captain Tom Kirk, Sandra Goshi, Debbie Desiderado, Tommy and Linda Bryant, Carlos Rodriguez, and my main man, Harun, who was kind enough to let me interview him outside a warehouse in Detroit. Over the Road is a collaboration between Overdrive Magazine and PRX's Radiotopia, a collection of the best independent podcasts around. I've turned a lot of overnight reefer loads listening to shows like The Illusionist and Criminal. Seriously, find out more about the whole network at radiotopia.fm. Look for Overdrive Magazine at overdriveonline.com where you can read Todd's Channel 19 blog. Hear the Overdrive Radio podcast and explore news, business, and lifestyle reporting about trucking. You can find Over the Road online at overtheroad.fm. Be sure to follow us on all the usual platforms, too. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Over the Road Pod. You can see some of my videos on YouTube by looking for long-haul Paul music there's a sweet, solemn stillness that steals over you. When you're west of Dodge City, doing 102. It's all your misspoken words and all the birthdays you've missed. Fall like smoke butts to the black tops, you break forth into bliss. I woke in the east, boys. as I lay down in
0: the west. Todd here again. Big thanks to all of you for hanging in. And again to our sponsor, First Guard. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive Magazine. Sign up to receive Overdrive's daily newsletter featuring trucking news, views, and analysis geared toward current and prospective owner operators and small fleet owners via overdriveonline.com slash Newsletter sign up. The podcast is edited and produced by myself, Todd Dills, with no small amount of support from Overdrive Extra Contributors Paul Marhofer, Overdrive Editorial Director Max Heine, Social Media Coordinator Holly Young, News Editor Matt Cole, and uh, Executive Editor James Gillette. Until next time, keep a pro out there.